Dateline, the future. Humankind stretches out to the stars. Maybe they go on generation ships. Maybe they live on space stations. Maybe terraforming bases dominate the worlds of tomorrow. In these hostile places, only two things seem certain. With people come conflicts. And in manufactured environments, the wrong kind of conflict will damage your air supply. So forget regular guns, needle lasers, ray guns, and anything else that can screw up your habitat. I want stories where the violence and conflict depend on ingeniously adapting ancient weapons to future environments, where this technological shift solves old social problems and creates new ones, and where cultures and religions arise around those weapons and provide them contexts, both accepted and outlaw, within their societies. Give me swashbucklers, knife fighters, booby trappers, baton wielders, pirates, mafiosos, Robin Hoods, cops, priests, robbers, fugitives, and assassins. Give me swords in space. This is a paying market. Submit your story to editor at everydaynovelist.com. Be sure to use the phrase swords in space in the subject line. 8,000 words maximum, 2,000 words minimum. See you on the slush pile. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to... The Questions, episode 997. Today we hear from Robert, who asks... When reading or watching science fiction, I've noticed that most works that aren't hard sci-fi brush over the issue of different day lengths on different planets. (laughs) And even that a day is somewhat arbitrary when traveling long periods in space. Obviously, we have biological needs around rest. What might change with the structure of days if we become an interstellar species? If we're writing softer sci-fi, should we just ignore this and treat everything as a mirror of Earth? Or are there ways to slip in the implications without having them take over the story? Um, There probably are. It would depend on what the implications are. Um, if I remember, this was a long time ago, so I'm reaching way, way back. This was I was like 15 or 16 when I studied this. But there were, in the 70s, there was a series of... 70s or 80s, a series of studies on circadian rhythms where people would be shut into a cave for five or six months. And they would be allowed, they're, they would basically be allowed to self regulate. Mm-hmm. And what it turned out was that the body sort of naturally gravitated towards a 21 or 22 hour sidereal cycle. So that kind of indicates that. When our when our biological clocks got set, it was way deep in evolutionary time when the um, day-night cycle on Earth was back around 20 or 21 hours or whatever it was. Because mm-hmm. the Earth's rotation slows down over time because of the drag from the moon. Mm-hmm. So there is a, wind, a sort of window that you can shoehorn human biology into as evidenced by the fact that we all cope perfectly well with a 24-point oh, one-hour cycle that the planet is on right now. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how far that could extend. 
outwards, and we, we can obviously pull it back to a shorter cycle fairly easily. Extending it out, that would be an interesting set of thought experiments. I would expect that as humans move out into space, we're going to maintain basically either a 24-hour cycle or switch to the sort of a multiphasic sleep cycle that Buckminster Fuller developed, mm -hmm. which actually seemed to work a lot better on an individual basis. It just doesn't work when you're trying to sink billions of individuals for economic activity. Right. So reading up on Buckminster Fuller's experiments with polyphasic sleep would be also probably fairly useful. As far as what implications it would have for the cultures, it would obviously affect business rhythms. Mm -hmm. um, you can get kind of an idea of the different kinds of rhythms that cultures create by looking at the way people live in equatorial societies versus Mediterranean societies versus Northern European societies versus Arctic societies. Mm, that's true. They have way different day-night rhythms and, and seasonal rhythms and seasonal rhythms in equatorial societies there's almost no variation in day length throughout the year and what you're going to have is like hurricane season or monsoon season or some or the dry season or something like that and not like the short day season and the long day season. Right. And that does affect religion, the kinds of religions that develop in those areas and, it, it, and it, the agriculture. The agriculture. I mean, tropical agriculture is impossible because there's no, there's no winter to kill the bugs off. So that affects what can be grown without heavy chemical assistance. It means mm -hmm. that you've got a lot more, um, the much longer persistence of hunter-gatherer cultures in right. equatorial regions. And also in the very, very far north because right. you can't grow anything when it's dark for four months of the year. And a lot of things do not grow when there's no night at all. That's true. And, you know, as we've moved around, we've imported agricultural species that don't quite work in the regions that we move to and we require greenhouses and we do a lot of selective breeding selective breeding uh, forcing night conditions where there isn't forcing daylight conditions earlier in the year but what naturally occurs in in those cultures and communities is quite different so looking at the ways of life of people who exist in places where there's four-month nights can tell you a lot of what your possibilities are for people who have really, really long days. Mm -hmm. And there's two other confounding factors. The first is that the more tightly dependent one is upon local natural agriculture, mm -hmm. the more tightly one's culture will hue to the sidereal cycle mm -hmm. and the seasonal cycle on every level. And as humans move out into space, and we're already at the point where it's conceivable that sometime in, the, in this generation, we're going to be able to change the biological clocks on a genetic level. So it could be that, it, that you will have, as humans uh, move out onto planets with greater or lesser day lengths, they will simply bioform their children so that they'll be more adapted to the local environment. Rather than trying to radically transform the local environment, as long as the local environment is minimally hospitable, you could see the first few generations tweaking their children in vitro so that the children will have greater heat tolerance or greater cold tolerance or be naturally matched to a long or short day cycle. And you could even 
have the original colonists retroactively engineering themselves by injecting themselves with retroviruses that specifically rewrite their DNA so that their cellular clocks reset to local time. Mm -hmm. And you could have all sorts of interesting uh, things go wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not wanting to go into hard sci-fi, then... You can just do the hand wavium of, yes, these people have formed their biology to fit with this environment. And therefore, this is what the culture that results looks like. Mm -hmm. And you can just skip over all the hard science stuff and do sociological science fiction. Hmm. I'm just thinking of, of one way to integrate this, this kind of, or to bring in this kind of thing. is just to have your delegation from another planet have to take a two-week nap in the middle of negotiations <laughs> yep. or something like that. You could have a lot of fun with that. You could. And I, I think in terms of television hard sci-fi, uh, Babylon 5 is like the only thing I re can recall that touches on, on that. And not very much. either. They sort of pay lip service to it in the first few episodes, and then that's about it. Mm -hmm. They would have little things like this culture's ritual takes place over one night, and yet the and because the night is two weeks long or something like that, it disrupts station activity for a while. Yep, that would be the Bakiri Day of the Dead celebration. Something like that, right? Yeah, or or the the bit with the Narn having to do a ritual in the first light that touches the mountain yeah, yeah. on a certain day, and they miss that day because Londo and Jakar are feuding, mm -hmm. and then. The commander points out, well, the uh, sunlight from your sun touches this station at this particular hour in a couple of days, so you can still do the ritual in that same sunlight. Mm-hmm, right. So, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with that without uh, without going overboard and making it uh, hard sci-fi for gearheads. So, um, good luck. Thank you for the question. And we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty Nakian and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you.